Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. Elm City Church is a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together. No matter where you're at, these messages are meant to equip and strengthen you for the journey. You can find out more by visiting elmcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening. So I don't know about you, I love revenge stories. Is anyone else who likes revenge stories? Oh man, yeah, a few of you guys are bad people like me and you love revenge stories. One of the things I do on my day off to like kind of check out, I read dumb like mystery novels or dumb action novels and they always end with something bad happening, a hero taking all the bad guys and at the end there's sweet revenge. Uh, anyone, you know, fans of the Count of Monte Cristo? A few, yeah, a few sophisticated folks. Um, so what's so great about that story is, I, I'm not going to recap the whole thing because that'll take a long time, but you, know, you get the main character, Edmund. He's framed by his friends in a really cruel and unfair way. He's going to prison. Eventually, he escapes, finds a fortune, reinvents himself as the Count of Monte Cristo, and he goes using his newfound wealth and uh, influence to kind of go on his revenge tour. In, in a way, and reinvent himself and you know, exact vengeance on those who have wronged him. And at the end of the movie, at least, there is this scene where Edmund and this guy, Fernand, who was sort of his arch nemesis, his friend who turned on him, there's this scene at the end where they're having a sword fight. Edmund wins, and he's kind of got him pinned. And he's got a chance to, do I show him mercy or do I end him? And so the guy's almost like kind of pleading for mercy, and he takes a sword, and he thrusts it through him, and you're like, yes, and uh, maybe not you, and uh, Fernand goes, what happened to your mercy, and responds, I'm a count, not a saint, and you're like, what? I'm like yeah, because deep down, like, if you're honest, like, that's what you want, like, that guy was his enemy, this is what he deserves, don't show him mercy, whatever you do. It would have been such a disappointing movie or book if Andy's like, you're right. Can I buy you dinner? You're like, no, run him through. That's because that's, that's what you're, like, isn't your flesh? And maybe is anyone else that's just not quite as, is, is a bad person like me and you're rooting for that in those? I think that is, it is a very natural thing to want. Um, I want to show you a picture of something. This is a stool. I sh- hey, hopefully nobody had to listen and be like, what is that? This is a three-legged stool. So my question is, which one of these three legs is the most important for that stool to stand up? Yeah, I'll say the back one. Which one's the back one? Yeah. All of them. The way it's situated, you take out one of those stools, I think falls over. It's no longer essentially a stool because it's, it's, it's lost its purpose. Um, if you take out any one of those legs, it ceases to be a stool. So this week, I was challenged by a quote by a guy named Abraham Cho that I came across, and uh, this is what he said. He said, the three legs of a distinctly Christian ethic are love of God, love of neighbor, and love of enemy. Remove any one, and the resulting ethic is sub-Christian. So on this picture of love, that we see in scriptures of loving God, loving our neighbor, and loving our enemy, you remove any one of those three things and the resulting ethic is less than a Christian ethic on love. This is a very challenging teaching because it's reasonably simple in a sense to love God 
Um, it gets a little bit more challenging to love your neighbor, um, especially because they end up being like a real person with needs and wants and annoying habits and all that sort of stuff. You are also that for somebody else before you uh, start thinking of somebody. Uh, but then loving your enemy, wow, what does that look like? It's really challenging. But one of the things that has always made Christianity and Christian love and the love talked about in the scriptures is that we are called as followers of Jesus to love our enemies, not just our neighbors, not just our friends, not just our families, our enemies. Uh, for those of you who are like, I don't have any arch nemesises, um, just put in that category, people I strongly disagree with. And then all of a sudden, wow, that opens up a whole new category of people right now. Um, yes, those people that disagree with you about COVID and about politics and about whatever else, they are in that category of people you are also called to love. There's no out clause uh, in the scriptures for, for that. So, and if you take out any one of those three things, it no longer is Christian love. So what we're gonna look at this morning is what Jesus had to say about loving our enemies. It's, we're gonna look at Luke chapter six, verses 27 through 36. If you want to turn there, it'll, it'll also be up on the, on the screen. Um, this is taken from Jesus' teaching, often called the Sermon on the Mount. We have a recorded in Matthew and in Luke. And the Sermon on the Mount in both Gospels is the longest continuous teaching of Jesus that we have. And really what it is, is his expectations, his ethical expectations for what his followers are called to do. So let me read Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through uh, 36. This is sort of in the middle of the message. And so I want you to picture here who Jesus is, is giving this message to. Again, we're halfway through. But this is Jesus giving it to most likely, predominantly a group of underprivileged, underprivileged lower classes who are um, under the thumb of the Roman Empire, who, um, whose day-to-day -day life isn't awesome, who have exorbitant taxes, uh, who have real enemies, not just um, people they argue with online, but actually real in the flesh enemies. Uh, they're, like I said, over all of this. This is who, and this is what Jesus says to them as he comes out to explain his kingdom ethic. He says this, but I say to you who hear. So right there, there's a clue that he's gonna say something different. But I say to you who hear, and, he, uh, and the Hebrew translation of Greek is Shema, I say to you who are willing to listen and obey what I say, here's what I have to say to you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Because if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful 
even as your father is merciful. <laughs> the words of Jesus. Not used to that being there. Um, so Mark Twain famously once said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. <laughs> Anyone feel that a little bit after hearing that? Yeah, that's, that is challenging. And often we want, we kind of like, well, there's got to be some like, where's the explanation that kind of makes this, you know, hypothetical? Uh, Martin, there are a few people in modern history who took these words of Jesus more seriously than uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And I was reading this week a sermon he preached on loving your enemies based out of um, Matthew's text of this, of this same thing. Um, when we send out our weekly recap, I'm going to try to just remember to put the link in. For this, the sermon was incredible, what he talked about on loving your enemies. And it was especially incredible when you consider his context and the opposition he was facing. Uh, but he strove to base everything he did off of what, really, off of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and how he conducted himself towards those he disagreed with. But this is what he said at the beginning of his sermon, looking at, again, Matthew's version of Matthew said, love your enemies. He said this, we cannot dismiss this passage as just another example of oriental hyperbole, just a sort of exaggeration to get, to get over the point. This is a basic philosophy of all that we hear coming from our master. Because Jesus wasn't playing, because he was serious, we have the Christian and moral responsibility to seek to discover the meaning of these words to dis- and to discover how we can live out this command and why we should live by this command. Uh, I, I love how simple he put it. Jesus wasn't playing. He was serious. And because of that, his followers have an obligation to discover what he meant, learn how we can live this out, and why we should live by this command. So that's what I'm going to attempt to do this morning. So let's look first at what did Jesus mean? What did Jesus mean here? And he starts off with a fourfold call to love. But I say to you who are willing to hear, who are willing to shema, who are willing to not just hear, but obey to what I'm saying, this is what I say to you. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. What is even more challenging is this is given as a command, not a suggestion. Not a, hey, this will really help you and benefit you if you do this. Simply, this was given as a command. And then Jesus gives four examples of this lived out. And this would be very contextual to the first audience. So probably the specific situations Jesus is talking to here, you are never going to face. Uh, But what's behind it, you will. So the first thing Jesus says, giving them four examples of what he's talking about is, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Um, just to kind of clear away what Jesus isn't saying, because I think this verse has been misused before. Jesus is not saying that you're, if you're in an abusive relationship, if you're in one of those, that you're called to just kind of turn the other cheek in Christian love and let that person continue to abuse you. Not saying that at all. Don't let anyone tell you that's what Jesus is saying. That is not what he is saying. Um, so just let's, let's take that off the table right there. The context of this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the mistreatment they should expect on account of their faith. So in that culture, to kind of strike someone on the cheek was not necessarily a violent act or an act of violence like getting punched, but it was the 
it was a sign of the ultimate form of rejection. So we even have a similar phrase for that of, hey, when they said that to me, it felt like a slap in the face. That is much more along the lines of what, of what Jesus has talking about. And for these early followers of Jesus, part of it had to do with being sort of driven out of the synagogue when they were, reject, when they were being rejected for being followers of Jesus. And sometimes that would be accompanied by like a literal backhand. Um, it, just, it, it just did. But it was, again, it was less an act of violence than it was a slap in the face of rejection. So this is what Jesus is saying to us as his followers. He is calling us to allow ourselves to be vulnerable to rejection for his sake and the sake of the gospel out of love for our enemies. He says, be willing to be misunderstood, to be slandered, to be insulted, and then resist the urge to strike back. Oh man, that is hard. When someone puts you down, when someone unfairly maligns you, when someone talks bad about you, what do we want to do? Oh, we want to hit back. Maybe not physically, but we want to put them in their place. We want to cut them down. We want to be like Edmund and proverbially just thrust the sword through them. Like, I struggle with that because I, it's both a gift and a curse. Uh, I'm quick-witted. Things come to me and they come out before they go through this middle section that should be my filter. And I'm getting bad at that. Uh, and often if you're around me, you're like, that's the filtered you? I know. <laughs> I know. It is hard. Because, but what Jesus is saying is, you know what? Resist that urge. Continue to love. Be willing to not strike back. All right, you hit here. I'm still going to love you. And we see Jesus doing it. The next thing he says is this. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So I don't know about you. People are always after my cloak. It's really challenging how often people are coming after my cloak. Uh, So in the ancient world, you had two basic articles of clothing. Your cloak, which was your outer thing you wore, and your garment, which goes underneath. There was no Hanes. There was no underwear companies. That was your basic kind of undergarment. That's what you wore. So uh, what Jesus is saying, you know, if, you, if you followed this literally, this would be a ridiculous scene. Someone's like, hey, I need my cloak. All right, here you go. You know what? Just take my tunic too, whatever. Just take whatever you want. Like, Jesus is not advocating for a, a sacrificial love through nudism. So let's just kind of also take that, off, take that off the table. But this is what Jesus is saying. Following him and loving our enemies means allowing ourselves to be vulnerable time and time again. To potentially be exposing ourselves to having people take advantage of us to people not reciprocating, to people taking advantage of our generosity and our love over and over. When we are generous, when we love those who are ungrateful and kind, in a sense, don't deserve it, we just put ourselves in a position to get taken advantage of. And while we do need to exercise wisdom, sometimes we can go so far down this way of like, I'm not gonna give to someone unless I know they're gonna 100% use it for the right purposes and they're gonna be thankful. And we build this huge case why someone is worthy of us loving or giving and being sacrificial to them. Then in the end, like, 
we end up really not really loving anybody that's hard to love. Uh, but who's been there before where you just get burnt out? You get burnt out from like, I keep pouring myself out and you know what? They just do not reciprocate. It's a waste. They take advantage of it. They are not thankful for all of my efforts. Been there before? <laughs> Every parent in the room is like, yeah, that's all of my children. <laughs> but here's the deal. Could you imagine? I mean, thank God that God doesn't treat us that way. Thank God that that is not the standard he has for us, that he's only gonna show us his love and his mercy and his grace and his generosity if we respond just the way we should. Imagine if he was stingy with his grace and it was based on our performance. I'm so thankful it's not. So as his followers, Jesus, he calls us to do it. Um, he says, don't stop making multiple efforts to love people and don't be so concerned if you get taken advantage of. Love anyways. Um, and the next two things Jesus says, I also find pretty challenging. He says, give to everyone who begs from you and for the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. So I can't answer all the nuances. I've preached this before and I've had people corner me after and be like, what about this? And what about that? And I'm a landlord. And if they don't, and like, I can't answer all those nuances, but I do know this. Jesus is saying that his followers should be compassionate and generous, should be open-handed with their possessions and not quick to seek retribution when wronged. That's very clear. How that works out in each individual situation is sometimes gonna be between you and Jesus. Uh, but oftentimes it's going to be much more uncomfortable than you want. So how do we do this? That's the what. What is Jesus calling us to do? But how do we do this is a very important question. And in Martin Luther King's sermon, uh, he had three really important, uh, really, I think, helpful things that uh, I want to share because I couldn't come up with anything better. <laughs> so thank you, MLK, for, for, for this one. The first thing he said was, when you're dealing with trying to love your enemies, how you should respond is, analyze yourself first. He said, start by analyzing yourself first. He said, this is for two reasons. One, you're going to find out when you analyze yourself first that honestly, some people are going to be your enemies, are not going to respond, are going to respond poorly to you, are going to mistreat you, and it has absolutely nothing to do with you. You have no control over it. It could be that they are, that they're jealous of you that you got the promotion that they wanted, that you have a better metabolism than they do, that you're the wrong skin color, that you are for the wrong political party, you were born in the wrong, whatever. So there's this whole host of reasons why someone is gonna be your enemy and not like you and it does nothing to do with you. Uh, and that's just, even that's a little bit helpful. Hey, this is not quite as personal. But secondly, you're gonna find out, hey, you know what? I might not be as innocent in this as I thought. I keep propping this person up as enemy and I'm the victim, but you know what? I have contributed a lot more to this than I want to admit. And then it becomes a little bit easier to love when you realize that it's not as cut and dry as you immediately thought. The next thing he said was, discover the good in your enemy. Discover the good enemy. Just like find something good about them. Even if it's just, that is someone created in the image of God. That is someone who is created in the image of God that God loves. Uh, he was saying in that sermon, he's like, sometimes this is so hard, but you have to look at every person. It's like, even, 
It could be the worst person you know. Find something good. And if it's just that that is someone created the image of God, that is someone that God loves. Again, that doesn't mean that you don't set up boundaries and let people do whatever. That's not, that's not talking about that, but said, find the good. And the third thing was, he said, when the opportunity to defeat your enemy presents itself, don't do it. When you have the opportunity to get even, when that person who was talking bad about you behind your back at work and you know it is making your life miserable, someone asks you and uh, maybe as a supervisor, hey, tell me what you think about them. Resist the urge to bury them. Resist the urge to be like Edmund and just strike, strike him through. This is what was so unique about ML, MLK and his, and his whole approach to civil rights and his whole approach was this. Because he had a heart for both the, uh, the racist and the people that were hurt by racism. He, 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 he knew that those people who are harboring hate were being just as, if not more, damaged and dehumanized by their hate and what it was doing to them and their soul as what was happening to those that they were oppressing. So he had a heart for both because he wanted to free both the African-American community and often the white community from the sin of racism because of what it was doing to everybody, not just those who were being oppressed. And that was what was so, I think, radical about, about his approach and when you read his, his sermons. He said this, you only seek to defeat evil systems. Individuals that happen to be caught up in that system, you love. But you seek to defeat that system. I was like, that is, and you saw him do it. I'm like, that is, that, that is so good. But we are not taught that. If our culture had some beatitudes for how we deal with our enemies, this is what it would say. But I say to you who hear, shame those who disagree with you. Dehumanize those who curse you. Never compromise. Do worse to others than they have done to you. To the one who slaps you on the cheek, cut off their heads. If someone demands your coat, only loan it at 20% interest and keep them in your debt. Give to anyone who asks, as long as it doesn't inconvenience you. And when you give, make sure Everybody knows about it. And demand that others treat you the way you want to be treated. Is that not (laughs) our current beatitudes? But the way of Jesus is different. Jesus loved his enemies. but This is incredibly challenging. But why do we do this? He says at the very end of getting down towards verse 36. He says, but love your enemies and do good and you will be sons of the most high. For he is kind, the ungrateful and just. So be merciful, even as your father is merciful. We reflect God's love the greatest, I think, when we love our enemies. We are never better at reflecting God's love to the world when we are loving those that we disagree with, when we are loving those that persecute us, when we are loving those that put us down. Because we have a God who showed love and mercy to his enemies. We have a God who, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And for those, again, who are us, who are like his sons and daughters, who are his sons and daughters, we are most like our father. We treat our enemies like he treated us. Jesus calls us also to love our enemies because love has a redemptive power. If, you, if we hate our enemies, there's no power to redeem them. 
there's a story told about an interaction that Abraham Lincoln had at a speech either towards the end of the Civil War or at the end of the Civil War. And there was great hatred between the North and the South. And someone from the crowd called him out because he was being too charitable towards the Southerners. Talking about how they need to be extended mercy and they need to be treated like, like humans, that they need to, we need to help them, in a sense, get them back on their feet. And this is what someone said to him after. He said, the Confederates are the enemy and they should and they need to be destroyed. And this was his response. He goes, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? So the way of Jesus is different, it's hard, but it's the, it is the only hope for this world. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And we have a savior who walked that path before us. Who does not ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done? who loved and continues to love those who are, in a sense, his enemies, who have rebelled, sinfully rebelled against him. He blesses those and has compassion on those who curse him. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do to those who are crucifying him. Be, so if I just leave you one thing as you walk out of here, be careful how you treat and talk about those who disagree with you and are your enemies. Uh, and I'm sure in this season, you can potentially find some application for that in your, in your life right now. Uh, I'll let the Holy Spirit work on you. I'm sure you can find something. Because according to Jesus, how we treat those who disagree with us or our enemies is a big deal. This is not a minor thing. Because the three legs of a distinctly Christian ethic are love God, love neighbor, and love enemy. And remove any one of those three and the resulting ethic is sub Christian. So the question I'll leave you with then is, in this season, what needs to change in you so that you can embody all three? In this season, what needs to change in you so you can embody all three? Because as a community, we need to be about what Jesus is about, even when it's hard. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help us do what we cannot on our own do and model a distinctly Christian love to those around us.